the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 450 and I'm your host Paul Spain. This week we have a special feature interview with Chris Quinn who is a CEO at Foodstuffs North Island, the country's largest locally owned supermarket company. Now, it's been some years since uh, Chris was last on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. In fact, uh, I looked, uh, looked back through the episodes. It was episode 122 back in 2013. Now, prior to joining Foodstuffs, Chris was, of course, the chief executive of uh, Spark Home, Mobile and Business. And in fact, when I spoke to him last time, uh, that was actually called Telecom New Zealand. It was that long ago uh, since we've had him on the show. So, uh, yeah, really hope you enjoy this chat as we talk a little bit about uh, uh, food retailing and uh, and the role of, of technology and, uh, you know, varying other uh, aspects that uh, are fascinating about the business. So uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Let's uh, let's jump straight into that chat with Chris. Chris Quinn, great to uh, catch up again. It's been a little while. It, it feels like it has been a while. It's sort of five years out of the pure tech industry uh, and in the food industry. Yeah, I was uh, I was looking and I thought, oh yeah, Chris is uh, Chris is you know must have transitioned across and uh, and been at Foodstuffs now for yeah maybe two or three years. Yeah, no, it's it's four in September. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Maybe you can, you know, step us through a little bit what the transition has been like moving from uh, Spark, mm. formerly Telecom, where you spent um, pretty much the large chunk of your career before yeah. uh, moving across to uh, head things up at, at Foodstuffs here. Sure. So, look, it was, you know, 24 years at Spark um, and an incredible time and a time I loved and wouldn't have missed for anything. Uh, and also, you know, when you start thinking about what next, for me, I looked at, a, you know, a New Zealand organisations that I'd be proud to be part of leading. And and Foodstuffs was one of those. Um, you know, there's probably two or three others as well as Spark. And it was just fantastic to have the opportunity come at the right time to be in the right place and, and to be chosen by the board. So uh, it's been a whirlwind since, you know, you, like you, I sort of look back and go, but that's right, it's nearly four years. It, it has gone quickly. Uh, it's a great New Zealand iconic business, right? And it's it's... Uh, what probably is is the same as you're dealing with New Zealand consumers and New Zealand customers and New Zealand partners and ways of doing business. Um, probably the other thing that actually is reasonably the same is the technology uh, opportunity, the technology challenge, the technology load in this business is almost the same. Uh, and I think that's because it's such a transactional business. You know, we have 1.3 million customers a week through our stores uh, and now more and more online. Uh, we move about 2 million boxes a week through our logistics and supply chain. We employ 22,000 people. We do about 6 million transactions a week. So that stuff doesn't happen in a manual ledger anymore, right? It, it's now a pretty tech-driven environment. And if I look back over the four years, uh, you know, probably two or three of the biggest projects we've done have been tech projects. So uh, in some ways, you don't escape your past. Um, and I think it's just true, right? Every business is now tech-dependent. I think we look at our smaller businesses and there's still probably a, a mindset change that needs, needs to happen in a lot of small businesses mm. and maybe uh, not a full understanding of just how important uh, mm. technology is to the success of business. When you uh, came into foodstuffs, how much of an opportunity did you think that there was for, uh, for change and how, many, how much of that was already going on? 
There was look. There was some, been some big decisions made, right? Some pro- bold calls. Um, listeners will, you know, will say a decision had been made to put SAP in as the enterprise platform. Uh, you know, and the world would go, oh, you know, that, that's big and scary. Uh, really, in the space we're in, and the size of organisation we are, you're talking about a couple of choices: SAP or Oracle. That choice had been made, but the project had just commenced as I arrived, and you know, it was clear. The mission was to get it done, get it done uh, well, support the team that had already set up to go and roll it out. Uh, And it's quite a rollout because it's not just rolling it across one business. For us, it's effectively rolling it across 350 businesses because every one of our stores is individually owner-operated, is a legal entity, and and is owned by an owner-operator. So it's even more than a franchise. They're not accessing a franchise system. It is a full owner-operator model. So that was a, a fantastic project. It came in early. We didn't lose a minute of trading, which you know was one of the the key guides, uh, and pretty much within the budget we had in mind. You know, so uh, that's nice. And for the first time, this organisation now has a single enterprise platform, which means the data and the insight that's available and the sort of readiness of information available to our store owners, you know, on trading and on what's going on with customers and all of those things is, is so different to their past. So it really has been a beginning of a move from being a very successful long-term analog retail business to the beginning of being a digital retailer. And what sort of feedback have you have you heard from those individual owner operators about uh, that move mm. to SAP? Yeah, look, it's tough, right? It's a, it's a big change, and you know, a, a lot of our owner operators have learnt how to do this business very, very well. They're they're fantastic grocers. They know what they're doing, and they operate great stores. But they've done it a certain way and been taught a certain way for a long time. We had systems before. It's not the first system. You know, there's mm. the systems that it replaced were twenty plus years old. Uh, but you can imagine we're probably much more green screen than, than where we are. Uh, and then just the fact that it's quite pervasive, so it's all enveloping. You know, uh, in the upper North Island part of the co-op before the merger occurred between in Auckland and Wellington, um, it was something like up to nine months before full information about gross margin could be produced for trading. You know, that's now a weekly event. Wow. Um, and what it does mean, though, is it comes with a process. So like every enterprise system, it basically means every business action has to be run through the system. So the receiving of stock, the allocation of stock, the putting of stock on shelves, the selling of stock, the replenishment, all of that now is run by a system, whereas previously it was a mix of systems and, and great knowledge and black books and written notes and, and, you know, and all of that great stuff. So that's, you know, it, it certainly led to a lot of people contemplating, is that for me? And, and do I want to be part of that next generation? Uh, and, and most did. And we've got a whole bunch of exciting talent who are now learning how to use this data and, and do something with it. The other thing that the team have done a great job of is be very committed to building a digital platform that has API plug-in ability. If you, it's probably not a tech word anymore. Uh, where, where we can add services and we can add things for customers very easily to the environment now. So that enabled online shopping for us. It's enabling a few other clever things that we've got on the way now that really attend to what experience customers want. Because I heard it at a conference recently, and I think it's true. They said, you know, supermarkets have until now been a digital black hole. You know, you really didn't need to bring your smartphone device into a supermarket. Uh, In the future, that'll be a valuable thing to do. What do you see that that looking like, that experience of going into a a supermarket and technology playing much more of a part for the shopper? Yeah. So you look at it, SAP's given us some simple things in every store. We know what's in stock. We know what retail price it's at today. Uh, and we, you know, we know a bit about the product in terms of its um, nutrients and, and all of the things that you should know about the product. 
Um, so if you take that fundamental up-to-date database of information and think, how do I unleash that for a customer? Um, you then do your customer experience work because before you start anything technology-wise, you've got to go, you know, actually, you know, if you give me flash stuff that isn't what I want, then you've wasted your money. So when we sit down and, you know, like we've done it in New World quite extensively and look at the shopping journey and, and focus that customers want, it starts right back at planning the shop, you know, so... You know, for some people, it's look. Could you just give me a menu for the week? Because I thinking of this stuff drives me nuts. You know, I, I think of it as the second biggest cause of divorce now is the question, "What do you want for dinner?" Because if you don't answer that question, it's massively tense, right? Um, and if you answer the question wrong, it's massively tense. Yeah. So inspiration, and that's turned into a few services all over the world. You know, so our my food bags, your whoops, those sort of brands come off the back of inspiration being valuable. So. You know, that, that meal, that shopping planning. So remind me of stuff I bought last time. Tell me what I need for a certain menu. Remind me about consumables in the house. So that's a massively important part of experience. You then move to, you know, the, the sort of vision that we're working to is, you know, you might be able to say, well, look, in my house there's two adults, two teenagers. Here's a menu that I'd like to have for the week. Give me a shopping list. And it does the quantities and the products and all of that. Reminds you about consumables. You then go, cool, I'm done. Uh, I'd like to now select whether I get that delivered, whether I click and collect it, or whether I go shopping because I like shopping. Um, if you choose go shopping, it will know your favourite store, you know, and, and you go in. Uh, it'll sort by aisle because you know I find most male shoppers we do a lot of horizontal, not a lot of vertical, uh, and we do about four or five times the distance of walking in a shop because we've got no idea where we're going. Uh, and and the sorting by aisle is possible because we've got a single platform now. Uh, you then, uh, you know, frictionless shopping is the next part of the journey. How do we make it easy? You know, is it barcode read straight into your trolley? Is it, is it those things? Then does, uh, you know, potentially a tablet on the trolley remind me of things I didn't buy that would have made sense against the things I did buy? You bought sausages, bread, but no sauce. What were you thinking? You know, it's that sort of simple association. Um, it might auto flag that I bought a restricted product like alcohol, so I need to do an age check on the way out. Uh, I'll have preloaded my payment information, which will be secure and PCI protected. Uh, and as I exit the store, I might get my receipt electronically. And maybe if I've subscribed to it, the health analysis of my shopping to say whether I'm doing better or worse, you know, and should I put the chocolate back? Um, that stuff, that little story, is all possible with the components we now have in the business. So now the challenge is stitch it together into a user experience. Right. And how long, how long does that take? Uh, I, you know, I want it yesterday, um, and I think our customers would love it now. Uh, you know, you've got to be robust. It's got to, you know, there's a hardware element to all of this that has to work well, as well as a software element. But having our own single enterprise platform and having control of our digital interaction with that, you know, makes a lot of stuff possible. So I won't give dates because we're in a hurry and we'd like to, you know, we'd like to wow people. But, um, you know, it's certainly front of mind. Understand the customer experience and deliver components that people would really value to make the way they like to shop. And, and it's fascinating understanding the personas. Many of us regard it as a chore. Just get it done easy, quick, simple. Actually, if you could automate it and deliver it to me, that'd be even better. Uh, we have a big grunt bunch of foodies, right, who love to be in the store, see product, taste, smell, feel, you know, and, and also will be inspired by what they see. And it's fascinating watching our participation by persona and online. So, um, you know, very functional, very digitally driven shoppers love online. Uh, foodies don't like it much at all. You know, they'd much rather go in and be random and be inspired and get ideas. Uh, our value-seeking customers, even though there are fees for online, like it because they can organise to a budget. 
you know, and, and the analog way of doing that was walk around, add it up in your head or on a calculator, get to the end of your shop and have to put some stuff back, which is a horrible experience for people. The digital way is I can spend a, you know a couple of hours assembling my list, make decisions about what's on off, and you know with the budget I choose to allocate. And so this is all things that become alive around customer persona. How do, how does that experience sort of differ between in store where you you know you see all the specials and so mm. on, and and trying to do that on a screen, which often the screens are quite small these yeah. days. And you know how do you deliver an experience that? helps people feel that they're able to you know get yeah. get the value as mm. well. Yeah, look it, it's we went app first and it was a very interesting decision to make. Um, because you know there was a lot of argument that there are a lot of PC based users that would want um, web first. Uh, we went app first because everything I've seen about just the number of visits to our store banner sites, you know, packandsave.co.nz, newworld.co and so on sort of 60 to 70 percent depending on banner was from a mobile or tablet device so you go you know guys this is how people are already using us how do you you know why would you think pc now now part of it is um, we had an online shopping trial in the old foodstuffs wellington that was pc based uh, and that had worked for people at work doing their online shopping in right. their lunch break of course yeah, of you know, course never of during course, working Chris. hours no no that would um, never happen <clears throat> that would oh, no one <laughs> ever did that we we saw that um, but uh we went wet app first, and what that gave us was the ability to present an experience that's as close to physical shopping as we could. So it's images of product, not lines on a web page. It's the ability for a customer to see size differentials. So massive tech work to present a half litre versus a litre versus a two litre or whatever. You had to get your images all correct and in relationship to each other so that when I looked at the page, I could see, yeah, I am getting the medium one rather than reading the, the text. So a lot of complexity with that, but a lot of great customer feedback that said actually that humanises the online shopping experience and I'm enjoying that. We've been very careful not to promote hard through it because early research we did, customers said, look, if you just keep banging me up with, with flashing you know, interruptions to my experience where you go buy this, this is on special, do this, do that, that is going to annoy me and I'd probably walk. Uh, but what they did say was make sure you know I ever find a way of searching by specials or see what's on promo. So we have that. There's a whole lot of development to come now, which is around you know how personalised we can make the experience uh, lists and and the ease of process of building lists, um, menu you know menu based. So turning it into quantities, um, being able to sort a store for gluten free, for vegetarian, for low sugar or no sugar. Yeah, it seems like some of those sorts of things will really make a huge difference via an app rather than you know walking around a store yeah. where you can actually filter yeah. out the products that are never going to be of any interest and, yep. and the like. Yeah. And that's, you know, yeah. a digital store I can reset for everybody, every shop. Mm. Physical mm. store can't do that. So blending the two together to mm. stop a store being a digital black hole um, is, is the exciting possibility here. And um, it would seem to me probably not a, not a huge leap to be able to take people's shopping lists that they put in a list app or mm-hmm. uh, an Amazon Alexa or you know yep. Google Home, th- those yeah. sorts of things, tie that together with a few preferences and, yeah. and, and create a very light way of yeah. uh, being able to shop as well. Yeah, there's no question voice activation is going to be, you know, we're, we're going to use voice more and more to, to perform a number of tasks and just to make them easier. So shopping list, you know, the, the classic, you know, we've, 
We have labs. We've had people have a play with various voice devices without naming any brands, plugging them into our online shopping. We've made it work. Mm. Um, now, not quite robust enough to unleash on the public, but, you know, it's possible. So for us now, it's about prioritising what would most customers value next and getting it done. Uh, the beauty of an app-delivered uh, online shopping too is I think we're now in our 14th or 15th version. You know, you just get customer feedback. You turn it into an order of priority. You can re-release it very simply. Um, and that's, you know, again, that's much harder to do in a physical world. It's important to keep it in context, though. You know, we're talking about, you know, in, in Australia where all of the brands have been online for some time, you're still only about 4% of revenue is online in grocery. Probably the, you know, in, in Asian cities like Kuala Lumpur or Singapore and some of the more intensely uh, shopped and intensely um, intensity of dwelling and living, uh, you're talking about 15%. This is, food is behaving differently to many other online categories, and it's because of our personal relationship with food. This is for my family, it's for me, it's for health, it's for, you know, and I want to know it's safe, I want to know where it came from. Uh, and that drove some of our decisions about the technical model, because we have uh, roughly 155 supermarkets in the North Island. We could have just put a core set of products common across all of them online, we have put each individual store online with its own online presence using a common app and a common look and feel, but the, the catalogue is individual. That creates a data challenge and an accuracy challenge, but on the other hand, it gives the customer, I like to shop at Lanav or Eastridge or um, Greylin or whatever, uh, and you know, I can get the things I know are physically in store online. So I, our customers tell us they choose not only the brand but the store. So we want to make sure online they've got that choice. Now, because it's been reasonably, uh, yeah, it's been reasonably slow here. As as you say, it's a pretty small mm. percentage of of, uh, of of shopping. Mm. Um, does that make it a little bit hard for you to invest more into it because you're not, you know, not necessarily getting a, a yeah. huge amount of uh, orders? Mm. So how do you balance how do you balance these these things? Because yeah. you could throw an unlimited amount of money at, at you know, yeah. tech type projects, mm. but we're a reasonably small country in the in the scheme of it. And yeah. I guess your uh, your investment relates mm. to uh, the North Island. Mm. Uh, so yeah, you, you've got that, and mm. and I guess some of your competitors are, uh, if we look out, you know, on a global basis, are of a very 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 different scale. Mm. Look, I think you know we're we're a eight billion dollar turnover business. Um, uh, you know, 350 stores if you count Pack and Save, New World, Foursquare, and Liquorland. Um, the the actual cost of online, you know, the app development cost is surprisingly small. Uh, the real cost is an integration into your core systems. So the plugins to SAP to make it all work and the digital API plugins for other services. But the most important investment you make because it gives you agility and flexibility for the future. You know, so we developed our... Um, uh, app with a Colombian partner, and we've developed the web with Sitecore. You know, so two different partners, but plugging into the same ERP, giving a very similar feel and experience to our customers. They don't need to know what tech is sitting behind it. Um, the the bigger cost, actually, by far, is the operational cost day in day out. The tech gets built, delivered, and and you know is pretty robust and sits there. It's the pick cost because we're a bit of a different business. A lot of retail businesses can save cost by not having a retail presence. We can't do that. So essentially we're adding costs to go online by having someone walk the store and pick product for you. You know, if you, if you think about it, we're becoming the customer and using our time to do the shopping they would have done. 
because we lay the store out with the stock on the shelf and that is the DC effectively you pick from. Do you, do you expect that will that will be the, the way for, for a long time to I come? I think it will be. Mm-hmm. Um, the international modelling we've done says you can run that model until about 15% of revenue is online. Much beyond that, you start to bother your normal shopper who's troubled by the online picking trolleys running around the store. Um, you know, we, we've got great stories out of that. Like, if, you know, we try and keep it personal. So when you get your online shopping, it's generally the name of the person who shopped for you. Um, you know, and, the, and there's a bit of a personality to it. We get great feedback from customers. The fresh shop they do is as good as or better than they would have done themselves. You know, and if you if you are picking produce for customers all day long, you get pretty good at picking produce. You know, and mm, you yeah. you get the right banana. You you know you pick the good looking fruit, whatever it is. Um, so there's a bit of an expertise benefit that develops. Um, we're doing system improvement all the time on how to make them as efficient as possible. Um, and the next leap probably is a mix of back of storeroom picking for the top two hundred items. You know, so you just have them in a tight space, bang, bang, bang. Uh, whereas out on store, you travel the store picking the rest. You know, so there's all sorts of, you know, it's almost a, a you know, it's an efficiency modelling exercise you do to to get that right. Um, the other thing, you know, click and collect. We're we're experimenting in our pack and saves with different things. Like there is lockers, there is drive through. So effectively, you text ahead, trolley is sitting in the right place. You stop straight into boot away you go. Um, and we're just trying to learn what's the most effective model and then what customers love. So, um, But, you know, there are dark stores used in some locations and countries. You know, in the end, uh, we think we've got a long way to go in terms of using our physical investment we have today. Well, you've got a lot of a lot of stores around the place that are mostly yeah. reasonably close to people, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, if we look globally, and a lot of online businesses, the Amazons of the world and that, their model is to build sort of 5,000 to 6,000 square metre DCs close to population. Pack and saves are bigger than that. You know, so you go, actually, we have a DC close to population. How do we use it for the next 50 years? Mm. So that's how, you know, how we think about it. So what are the, what are the challenges that you see in terms of um, the competitive landscape? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's definitely always some benefits from being a smaller entity mm-hmm. but there are benefits for those those bigger entities yeah. as well in terms of how uh, yeah. you know how much they can they can spread their costs yep. um, you know they can I guess invent things and come up mm. with with new things um, you know, through having very very deep pockets but of course technology is moving so quickly mm-hmm. that um, you know often the, the the tools and elements that a big player might mm. use, um, and I'm not saying that eight billion dollars isn't yep. big, um, but that a, you know a smaller yep. player can mm. can get access to those things reasonably quickly too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we we face competition. You know, so the Australian retailer in New Zealand countdown, you know, that's Woolworths. You know, they've developed data engines and things like that for the whole of their business. That makes it faster to deploy and easy to do. Um, we, you know, two things we have to just keep up in terms of what customers want. And the core of the strategy now that drives the whole business and drives any technology investment is called customer-driven. And it's all about how do we run our business based on customer data and insights and design every process to be a customer-driven process from the beginning. So, uh, you know, previously this industry has been a lot about product and it's been a lot about supplier. You know, so what's driven promotional strategies until now has been supplier support and funding and margins and all of those things. What has to drive it from here now that we have the ability to get the data is what do customers want promoted. 
Um, and it turns the, the model a bit. We're going to start adding a lot more value to suppliers by telling them what our customers are after and understanding that than previously we were able to do. Um, so some of that neutralizes some of this big little thing that goes on. Um, you know, we're sort of big enough and have the scale to invest cleverly um, and to invest at some scale. Uh, you know, competition in New Zealand, I think there's a bit of a myth that there's a duopoly, you know, we wish. Um, the first thing is that, uh, you know, most New Zealand industries, there are a couple of large players. That is not unusual in a country of just under 5 million people. Happened in telco, happens in airlines, happens in lots of industries. You know, and ours is the same. But, for example, in Auckland, in just retail food, 25% is not in supermarkets. There are a myriad of small, specialist-focused food retailers. You know, you think I'm, about... I'm your, looking out the window and, um, you know, can, can see a, yeah, you, you, a, a, you know, a, you a find small a faro, supermarket. You find a small yeah. supermarket, you yeah. find a Taiping, you find um, Baker's Delight, Fruit World. You know, so suddenly you go, actually, there is quite a lot of variety and a lot of offers. Um, and then most of our new competition are semi-digital, semi-physical. Now, they're arriving and setting up, you know, food box stories. They're setting up um, some sort of delivery story. It's very niche-focused around direct from Farmgate, all those sort of plays. You know, so the, you know, our game of building very large stores of very large car parks, that's not the competition we face. Um, so all that all means is, in the end, one of the guiding principles I picked up early, someone said 85% of our time on a smart device is spread across about six or seven apps. And you sort of think about it yourself and go, hmm, yep, you know, mail, social, news, I'm sort of done, you know. Um, and you think about what's on page two, three, four of your phone that you never even look at. And and so one of the challenges for us is we've got to be one of the five or six or seven because um, otherwise we don't matter. Now, the benefit is our customers on average shop two and a half times a week. So we, we've got about as many interactions as you'd have with a bank as you'd have, you know, with some of your news, some of your some of your regular things. So we've got to make sure we're a really valuable thing to do, um, and that we take a current process, which is how I how I provision my house, and make it, you know, exciting, cool, different, inspiring, or just easier. Does that does that mean that you should be uh, looking at partnering up with other local players? When when I think of particularly if I'm in the US. Mm. Yeah, the Amazon app is yep. going to be within that uh, that handful of things that mm. I'm I'm visiting, and sure, I'm usually there for a short window of time, and there yep. are things that you can you can buy through yep. Amazon. Um, but you know, I've certainly you know seen seen that. Oh well, do we order some groceries and and yep. other bits and pieces because it it covers just so many things. Is, mm. is that something that would be practical to do in in New Zealand? I mean, I'm very interested in. How do we make sure that our, our local brands like foodstuffs mm. remain really relevant in the years ahead yeah. and that we don't sort of cede mm. and give these you know give the opportunity away uh, to some of those players that might be able to create that app that, that covers yeah. so many different things at, at you know such low prices that it gets mm. uh, you know it get, gets that, that attention that um, maybe if we you know split up the other sort of retailers and so on that people mm. visit into separate apps, uh, you know, they maybe just don't don't get yeah. enough attention then. Yeah, and I think two or three things about that. Food is different in its behaviour than buying books, buying tech, buying clothes, buying shoes, buying all those sort of things. Um, and, you know, we've even seen Amazon step back into physical, um, particularly in fresh. 
Um, and, you know, with, with the acquisitions they've made, because they've realised you can only go so far online with food. Well, they, and they failed um, with uh, competing with, with Uber Eats, didn't they? I think yep. they've actually pulled pulled that back or have to a, yeah. a degree if they haven't stopped that entirely. Yeah, but then they're, um, you know, they've made large acquisitions of physical retailers because they realise they need to add to it. Um, so if you look at, you know, could the, uh, the food stuff sweeter brands add more value to customers through its digital presence. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you then go, what, what are we trusted for? We're a place you go two and a half times. We're a physical location. Uh, people seem to trust us to pay, you know, with payment and, and sort of the brand is solid on that front. You know, we've kept people's trust on data and data use so far and it's critical we continue to keep that. Uh, and how do, you, how do you get that balance right? Because the the loyalty card type yeah. uh, mechanism uh, is you know is, is very good from a business perspective in terms yeah. of what what you get to see. But you know we've certainly seen some some examples from time to time yeah. uh, in varying markets yeah. where uh, you know this this stuff has has left people feeling less less yeah. than happy. And look, it's you know you think about the data you gather from someone shopping in a in a supermarket. Uh, you know, there's there's not just food products, right? We have a lot of health and beauty products. We have a lot of other, you know, there's all sorts of product sets where you could put a lot of things together and leverage that um, in a way that is inappropriate um, or reach conclusions without thinking very carefully and, and break trust very fast. So there's sort of, I always see there's two sides to trust. We've got to keep people's personal information and payment data and all that stuff totally safe, first thing. Second thing is we've got to be very well judged about how we use the shopping data um, you know, to help a customer do their shopping, not to to over sell, over exercise, or market in a way that they would not have been happy with. Um, so we're pretty careful about this and very conservative about it. Um, you know, one of the big industry shifts is to move from mass marketing to personalised marketing. You know, we still do physical flyers into letterboxes, and and I just keep saying to my team, every time it's got dog food in it you've wasted a section on that because I don't have a dog and you should know that about me and I'd be happy to tell you it so that you you know told me about you know very choosy cat food because I'm a very choosy cat um, so you know it's it, that's the stuff that personalized marketing really brings but don't you know if I haven't given you permission to tell me off for the amount of fatty foods I've bought don't get in my face about that so there's a very fine line and in the end the right decision is be very permission driven you know so Keep talking to customers about what value they want from you. Give them that value and don't go further than they gave you permission. Now, we look at some of the interesting things that are going on uh, internationally, and Amazon comes into the picture mm. again uh, with Amazon Amazon Go. Yep. Um, yeah, we've heard sort of noise of that sort of mm. thing happening uh, locally. Is that is? I mean, it seems to me as though that looks like quite a cool mm-hmm. tech demo. Yep. Um, but I'm not sure how you know how much uh, uh, that sort of a you know approach to shopping mm. um, is what we would expect to be at in you know a few a few years out yep. um, from here. How, how do you sort of picture picture things going? Yeah, there's no doubt when you look at customer experience, they want less friction all the way through the shopping experience. And checkout is you know when you stand back and look at it in 2019, you go, wow, we're still lining up unloading our trolleys, scanning each item, you know, can we do better? Um, and the answer is we can. Um, you know, Amazon Go, there's been all the stories about, you know, how many people at once can actually handle, you know, I, I have a team that's visited the store and, you know, one of them signed in, the others took stuff and the first person paid for everything. You know, there's a few 
day-to-day practical questions around that model. But the, you know, if we look at, you know, the rise of self-checkout and self-scan, then you go, okay, but, you know, from a technology point of view, why can't I have all that in my trolley? You know, because I could just walk the store, bleep things as they go in. Um, you get down to some very practical issues. So there is image recognition technology, but it can't tell that that bag of apples has nine in it, whereas the other one has ten. So in the end, you end up back at a barcode reading weighed thing. So you just kind of think your way through every shopping action and then say, how will the tech make that less friction uh, and easier to do, but not affect accuracy, not affect ease? We've we've got some pretty cool experimentation going on. So we've got something we're working with in two or three stores with some friendly customers. Um, you know, over the next period of time, we hope to sort of more industrialise that. But that would take a lot of friction out of the out of the shopping experience. Um, the other issue that all retailers hit is I can make your experience very very easy. I can also make it very very easy to steal. Yeah, that seems seems to be a you know a genuine challenge today mm. with the self checkouts and so yeah, on. Um, I don't know what the the stats you, that yeah. you see in in New Zealand, but you know, I've heard heard um, you know in some markets that uh, there can be there can be a reasonable amount of loss uh, through through yeah. that mechanism. And I guess that's yeah you have to you have to weigh those those things up, giving people yeah. that option and yeah. how that helps you in terms of less checkout staff and so yeah. on. Yeah, look, it's. There's two or three aspects to it. The very best technology and operational models now have self-checkout with having no higher loss figure than physical checkout. So, you know, now you still get some in both, and, and that's part of retail life. Um, but uh, very best practice is what's important. You know, so we're, you know, we're sort of going through a generational change now in self-checkout. Um, and the most important thing to do for 99% of our customers, make it easier, trust me, help me. One percent, we've got a different attitude. Unfortunately, um, you've got to design for the ninety-nine percent, you know, because you can't design for the ones you, you know, where the problem is. Um, but it is—it's tough, and it's tough in an owner-operator business when you get loss. You know, we've also got a new issue now because we're online. We have a lot of card not present transactions, so we have a different fraud issue. Um, you know, and. and I'm not quite sure what those people do with the delivery of all that food, but you know, I've used an illegal card. Um, so there's a, you know, like all businesses, we just face the, the same things that make the world easier for customers also open up risk. You've got to be very careful not to make the user experience terrible to cover off all the risks. Mm. Where do you see blockchain fitting into, uh, into the, the, yeah. the world of food? Yeah. Is that something Look, that... We're, we're experimenting, you yeah. know, and we're thinking about what architectures of ours will use blockchain. Um, you know, we, we essentially shift a lot of items, uh, and we carry a lot of records and a lot of unique pieces of information. So you can see a fundamental application. Um, so, you know, we're just keeping an eye on the maturity of these things and where they might apply in our world and where that level of security and, and recording of single item adds value and where it's needed. Um, there's no doubt it'll end up part of our architecture. I can't quite put my finger on yet where the valuable piece is going to be, but it's going to. Now, you've started um, providing electric vehicle charging in, yes. in some locations. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and it's, it's, look, it's a really cool thing to do. Um, you know, we, we're a car park organisation. We have a lot of people park with us. Um, uh, we've started rolling, and I'd, I'd have to check numbers to give latest because we seem to add them, you know, most weeks. Um, we're, we're quite focused on fast charges because one of the things we're trying to protect is people's ability to get a car park to go shopping. So, you know, a 30 to 60 minute window is great. Um, 
but you know we're seeing the rise of EV. Um, we're giving it some priority, you know. So if you think about from our point of view, accessibility parking is really important. Uh, Mum and baby parking is quite important. In a few places we dedicate a couple of spots to click and collect so people can get in and get out fast. Uh, and then we try and think about you know where you want to locate EV charging and how identifiable to make it. But you know there's great stories. We've got a um, Foursquare that's basically halfway between Auckland and Whangarei. And for a long time, it was the only one with the charging station that, you know, a lot of EVs had to stop halfway to make it. So, Perfect. you know, sold a few ice creams and cans of Coke. I'm um, sure. I'm while sure. people charged up. Yeah, well, that, uh, you know, I guess that's the that's the opportunity, isn't it, mm. where uh, people have that, that journey. And if you can make it very convenient, yeah. then um, they, they're going to stop where they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't otherwise. Yeah. And, and that's, and, you know, like... We have fuel stations on most of our pack and saves. Some of, you know, a few of our new worlds and we fuel discount out to a fuel partner. Um, you know, so it's fuel. You know, EV is the same principle when you think about it. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we, we all know our aim in terms of st- sustainability as a business is basically to be carbon zero at a point in time. You know, we need to think about all the things we do that contribute um, and then work on eliminating them. We operate a vehicle fleet. You know, quite a large one. So uh, we've signed up for the commitment to go 30% on our car vehicle fleet. We have our first uh, electric trucks arriving later this year. So a 22-tonne will be the largest. Um, it has a range of about 250 kilometres to start. So it's going to be a, a round city unit for a while. But we've just got to get on this journey and try this stuff um, and learn and work out where it's going to go. Is that the important thing at this stage, is just getting in and learning and getting a feel for it? Because the electric vehicle technology is, you know, is very much sort of on a, on a continuum. We're still yeah. in the, the earlier days. You talk about 250-kilometre uh, range for a, yeah. for a truck. Obviously, there's a lot of scenarios in which that wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be much use for. Yeah, a- absolutely. So you know, I think Moore's Law must be applying overload at the moment on <laughs> things like electric vehicles. Right? It'll be doubling and tripling in, cap- in capability every year. Um, so we need, to, we need to be in, we need to be learning, we need to be understanding and measuring, um, we need to be trying. Uh, and we've got enough scale to be able to do that, which is nice. Um, and most important, bank the learnings and keep working out where to go next. Um, you know, but at the same time, in terms of sustainability, there's so many big things we can do. Like plastics had a lot of focus and that's important and, and we can do more and will do more. Um, electricity use, you know, we've halved it in most of our stores. And that's just through efficient technology, it's through smart controllers, uh, it's through the use of tech like that. And we've got a couple on solar and we're learning more about solar and we'll, we've got quite a big new DC project where that might be entirely possible on a, on a very large building. So we're trying uh, different things to learn about that. Then you go to waste, you know, and how we manage our waste streams. And we've, we've taken thousands of tonnes of waste out of the way we operate um, so that it's no longer having to be dealt with. Uh, and... and Last one, which is sort of nothing to do with tech, but there's a little bit of tech in it, is, you know, there's a perception there's a lot of food waste. We generated six million rescue meals last year because we work with local food rescue groups, you know, and and this is electronic because it's got to be done fast, where we say, right, we've got stock that can be used for another 48 hours but, but can't be retailed. If you can grab it and turn it into meals for those that need it, come and grab it. And we've got a great network of that going on now. That's great. Uh, technology must uh, must certainly come into play in terms of helping you get those communications out. Know you know when when your stock's getting to to certain uh, yeah. certain points, but it must still be quite challenging to uh, to manage that. 
Yeah, look, the so SAP is the core of where we know stock is, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and like any system, it wouldn't matter what brand one it was, it's all about the quality of people following the process on the way through. Uh, and taking, you know, the big learning we see our stores go through is if you just slow down and do the process right from the beginning, it's a much easier ride. People who develop shortcuts um, end up with a load at some point in time because it corrupts data and it creates issues. Um, you know, there's the other thing is unleashing systems. Like we put in a transport management system. We have a vehicle fleet in terms of trucks of just over 350 or thereabouts. Utilisation of that fleet's critical, knowing where it is safety. So we're an e-road customer. Um, and that's been fantastic for our vehicle safety, for fleet management and driver management. What does that give you? So it gives us everything. So it's all the way through to video and cabin um, and on-road. Uh, distance, speed alerts, um, efficiency, location, the full suite of um, fleet management information, programmed maintenance, safety, all of those things. Um, you know, the, the transport management system, the next stage we unlock is a sign-on glass, so there's no paper anymore in our, in our supply chain. And then also with that stage comes the ability for a store to see live on, on GPS where their truck is and what pallets are on that truck so they know what to be ready for. That's the sort of, you know, suddenly it becomes quite valuable because they can put on the right staff at the right time. That's great, yeah. Um, so that's, you know, these are all the things that having a single core system allows you to really start to capitalise on. Mm. Do you see that sort of thing being visible to the customer? Do they notice notice the benefits? Or yeah, so many of those things we just discussed, they wouldn't notice the benefit. What, what would they notice? Firstly, I think customers expect us to be a safe organisation. Mm-hmm. If we had a brand where we were hurting people or having issues, people would go off the brand very fast. Um, you know, your social license is dependent on a few core things, and that is one of them. I think, you know, the truck turning up on time with the right stuff on it and people being ready to get it to shelf, a customer won't notice all of that action. What they will notice is availability on shelf. And one of the biggest frustrations for customers is I've got a list. You know, if you're missing more than a couple of things, you know, I'm going to change stores. I'm going to try something else. So, you know, a lot of effort goes into shelf availability. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of global tech that's interesting in that. We see the robots running around Walmart's scanning shelves. The question we have about that is your system should know that shelf was empty, right? Because if the system's working properly, it gives you location and it tells you what you've sold. So, you know, we sort of scratch our heads a bit and go, is that an interim thing as opposed to the end game? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it should be known. So there's, there's lots of, um, you know, in the end, if you come back to the journey, help me plan it well, help me do it efficiently or inspire me, uh, help make the entire shopping journey frictionless, uh, show me the value that I am receiving and look after me from a loyalty point of view. They're the key steps. Yeah. Now, I guess you know one area that is changing is that online commerce side, mm-hmm. um, but it's split between picking up at the store and getting it to a home. Yep. Um, or a workplace does seem at the moment that um, that's something you really got to plan ahead for mm-hmm. as a as a consumer. Yep. Do you see that being able to be sped up um, much? That seems to be 
maybe yeah. it's just, maybe it's just me and I'm mm. you know not involved so much in yeah. uh, um, being the organised one who's planning out to make sure that the cupboards are, are, mm. are full at the right time. But sometimes it's uh, oh we need this this and this. Yeah. Um, oh, should I use the app? Oh no, I'm going to have to. Yeah. You know, I, I need to be a, a few more hours ahead if yeah. I want to take that approach. Yeah. You, so yeah, there's. Changing? Different service level for different brands in our case. Mm. You know, so New World is a brand that's all about service and experience. So the order windows are shorter in New World than in Pack and Save, where, you know, essentially the history of Pack and Save is you're prepared to put in some work, live with less choices within each category in order to get great price, you know, New Zealand's lowest food price. If you fast forward that into an online world um, and then relate it to the different cost of providing service, you know, the shorter window between closing off my order and picking it up is a cost driver because that means we have to have more resource available in case you do that. Uh, whereas in Pack and Save, we can say, look, you're going to have a longer window, but you get a great price because we've been able to run a more planned, lower cost operation. So that's sort of what goes on behind what you see differently as a customer. Um, in terms of shortening those windows, you, you know, the, the shorter the window, the more the potential cost because you've got to have resource available. Um, and then you get into a, you know, my real question would be, um, you know, if you need a bottle of olive oil in a panic, you know, come and get it. Um, whereas the, you know, the sort of, I had a customer years ago said, look, all I want to do is be able to order a bottle of Pinot Noir and some olive oil in half an hour. And you go, great, but you're like a half of 1% of the customer base, so that needs that. You know, I've also got to run a business for families that are trying to live on a budget, and, you know, so... Um, so that might be a premium service. Right. The key is that we have a base system that can allow for all of these possibilities, and then you can build your operational model around it. As you know, from a tech point of view, it's not hard. That's, that's actually the easiest piece. It's the physical operational piece that is hard, um, which sort of then leads you to a conversation about robotics in our business, and you know, there is no doubt it will come. Um, and you know, the, the, the cost-benefit equation is shifting rapidly, um, and that's why future of work is one of our key thinking areas because we know it's going to change very fast. So, and what concerns do you have about that future of work? Look, I've I've got a concern at a New Zealand level, and then I've got a concern because we're a big player in New Zealand. Um, and the concern at the New Zealand level, I've been involved in a bit of work on this um, that's being published, and you know it calculates seven hundred thousand jobs disappearing but 900,000 jobs possibly being created if we get it right. So, you know, from my point of view, the focus all has to be on the second thing. Um, and how do we make sure we get it right? Um, Agreed. Uh, the, and that requires thinking, it requires training, it requires development, it requires all of those things. If I look at a very practical view in our business, you know, we've just talked all about online shopping. Right? That's a task that didn't exist for us two years ago. Yeah. It's a job. Uh, whereas the job of shifting boxes in a warehouse or in a storeroom might might change or disappear because the robots might do that. Um, you know, we can't get enough talent to run bakeries, to run butcheries, to run delicatessen departments, to run seafood departments because the skills are hard to get. The hours are slightly difficult because you start pretty early in the morning and stuff. But we look at it and go, there's a translation there between those skills and less skilled roles that are shifting boxes and doing those things today. And that's just our world. You know, the other thing that I'm seeing our stores do is they're hiring computer graduates and data scientists to work in their stores. That's something they never would have thought of three, four years ago. So it's happening. This future of work thing is occurring. We've got to just start finding our talent, 
developing them, giving them the opportunity, and keep going. You know, and, and there's a massive role for government to play here too around education and around support. And I actually, you know, the, without getting deep into the subject, there's a massive opportunity for unions to play here around the future of work as opposed to the protection of current productivity. What do you think that would look like? Well, you know, I think everybody shares a deep interest in the long-term employment levels and long-term satisfaction and skill levels of New Zealanders. You know, I, I was on a trip to Denmark with, uh, with New Zealand Initiative Group four or five weeks ago. We saw a country with 80% higher GDP per head than ours. Um, you know, and apparently up until I think it was the 80s, we were the same. Um, we went to Switzerland two years ago and saw a country with twice the GDP per head, or two and a half times. And you go, I'm not happy with that. You know, as a, as a New Zealander, why are we stuck in lower productivity industries? Um, you know, we talked briefly before about the Ice House, which I've been associated with for a while. Um, you know, there are some fantastic stories emerging in, in terms of higher value, higher productivity roles. I think we've all got to train people. We've all got to make sure that we push all of our core operations to be more productive. And government, again, has to play a role in that. You know, Denmark is 100% online as a country. Your entire relationship with the public sector is through an app. Right, so there's no paper anywhere in that system. You know, and you go, wouldn't that be wonderful? You know? You know, as someone who's gone through the real me thing to get a passport, you know, you just go, I had to ring the call centre three times and you go, My God. Oh wow. You know, and I probably could have done it better than that, but you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. incompetent, I don't think. <laughs> um, so I, I think what it looks like is we've really got to focus on training people. We've got to focus on making sure we shift the way we operate all of our businesses to be more productive so there's great work for those people to do. Uh, government's got to play its role in shifting government to be more, and we've all got to focus on vocational education. Um, you know, it's what we saw in Switzerland. You know, people trained to be professional engineers, professional computer designers, you know, code writer. you know, not so much academic subjects where there wasn't really a clear future in terms of future of work. Yes, so I think we've got some some interesting years ahead, and um, you know, it really really comes down to I think everybody working together to be strategic around making sure that we actually you know position ourselves correctly. Is there a role there for for foodstuffs to be more outwards looking, more uh, even you know, internationally focused? Yeah, look, I, you know, we we spend a lot of time learning internationally. Um, you know, it wouldn't be a year that. Most of my board, most of my leadership team and a number of the sort of 100 big leaders in the organisation weren't somewhere in the world seeing someone do their thing and learning from it. Um, I think that's true of most New Zealand industries, right? We try and benchmark and learn and challenge ourselves off that. Um, so I think, you know, that's something you just got to keep doing all the time. You have to work hard to get relevance. You know, you need to find places that you can learn relevant things to New Zealand and its application. But at the same time, challenge your thinking and go, don't just pretend that because we're not like it today, we couldn't be. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we, we do okay at that. We've got a few global partnerships, you know, so our technology partners, uh, we're working with a new partner in the space of Customer Driven, who's a, basically a data, a retail grocery data scientist organisation, and that's great for us in terms of challenging our thinking. Um, so you do all of those things. Uh, we also, we attract some great talent from all over the world, you know, I just... I met a new um, a new data and analytics leader who will go into our chief digital officers team a couple of hours ago. You know, and I, I try and meet everybody who joins at that level in the organisation for half an hour, and you know, just a great conversation around how excited he was about 
what we can do with data. Um, you know, excited because we haven't done much yet, so so he saw a big opportunity. But you know, he's you look at the CV and you go, he's got some world class thinking here. That's great. So, how many people do you have involved looking at data and digital and technology related yeah. uh, matters? Look, at, you know, it depends on how you define a role, but you know, it's it's going to be three or four hundred. You know, and and you know, then if you said and part of their role, you'd be five or six hundred. Um, you know, you think about it, we are a massive data and logistics organisation and then we're a big retail organisation and, you know, that's that's what we do. We're also quite a big property organisation. So so what are you looking for in terms of people at the moment? What sort of people are you constantly oh, look, you on know, the lookout for? It, it sounds almost glib to say data scientists and, and data thinkers, but, you know, that that is really important. Um, the, the real skill is people who can use insights to challenge and drive our business for customers. Um, so I would say we're looking for in-store skills in many, many places. And I think one of the things I've learned in this industry, you know, from outside it, you'd go, yeah, supermarket, not sure if that's my career aim. Um, people who come inside it go, man, I wish I'd learned about this when I was 20. Um, because they are seriously, you know, we're talking about businesses that, that are tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of turnover, that employ several hundred people, that are running quite a sophisticated set of systems and planning and customer-driven thinking to deliver a proposition. It's pretty exciting, you know, it's, it's not a dull day. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a purpose we talk about, which is making sure New Zealanders get more out of life. We can do that. You know, most New Zealanders are here for lifestyle. Food and grocery and um, wine and beer and all of those things play a massive role in lifestyle. So our ability to deliver inspiration, some of the best products, new tastes, new new challenges, or just make it work on a budget makes a big difference to people's lives. Mm-hmm. And the people that you are bringing into these um, tech and, and digital types of roles, um, are you able to retain them for you know a reasonable period of, of time? It, it, yeah. I mean, it seems as though mm. uh, you know our workforce is maybe more yeah. fluid than it uh, than, yeah. than it ever was, but yeah. there can be a huge amount of of, of benefit of uh, you know having having a team that yeah. uh, you know isn't so transient. Yeah, look, we do pretty well on that front. Mm. Um, we, you know, we're talking, I think, on average six to seven years, which you know, in modern business is actually a reasonable That's time. Um, our owner operators, on average, their current length of service in the COP sixteen years. So, you know, we 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 have pretty good institutional knowledge. We're pretty good. You know, um, sometimes you know we, we bring fresh eyes in, and sometimes that can be very good for us. But also, I think you know I've learnt it took a couple or three years to learn this industry really properly well. Um, I thought telco was the most complicated industry there could be. This one would go toe to toe, and it's you know it's about layers, it's about complexity, it's about the commercials, it's about all of those things, um, and just understanding that properly and and spending time with people who are real experts and have a passion for it. And it's not hard to have a passion for it, right? Because it's uh, everything we do shows up pretty fast to most New Zealanders. Uh, and if we get it wrong, it shows up real fast. Uh, and if we get it right, it, it does. So, you know, it goes from finding strawberries and needles to wowing people because you can bring your own container. You know, mm. and that can be a week. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, excellent. Oh, well, thank you very much, Chris. Oh, thank you. Had fun. That was great. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.